Hey gang, welcome to episode 208 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles. This week on the show, we have Matthew Webb of Jackalope Live Action Role Playing, uh, who's at Gen Con right now. Gen Con, which is taking uh, place. Gen Con's the big uh, role playing and tabletop uh, game show. It's like uh, it's it's Comic Con for tabletop and role playing folks. So just so you get a sense, in case you don't know, um, Matthew uh, had uh, some fun announcements this week. Uh, you're gonna get to hear them uh, here on the show if you haven't caught up on them already. So I don't want to spoil. You probably read the descriptor, so like there'll, there'll be there'll be something in the descriptor, uh, but uh, we'll get to that uh, towards the end. Uh, they've been they've been just on fire uh down there in texas uh doing uh, blockbuster larps uh first for um uh the world of darkness in which they're coming back around and doing uh, a revamp oh sorry about the pun uh of the night in question which is their uh vampire the masquerade blockbuster larp and uh they also did one for uh cyberpunk which uh we're gonna we're gonna roll into the interview kind of waxing poetic about it and there are going to be um links in the show notes to the pictures from uh the night city blockbuster larp that they did uh if you don't know what blockbuster larps are they are a, a new emerging form, or not news wrong, but they are they are an emerging form of live action role playing. Uh, they're not like the persistent LARPs uh, that you that those of us from the '90s are familiar with, um, and uh, they're they're cousins to Nordic LARPs, but they're not exactly the same. So, uh, but we got into a lot of that the last time we had Matthew on the show. So we kind of just dive in and are talking about what they've been making this time out. So if you want to, uh, have a, like a, a full range discussion, I recommend going back, uh, and checking out the episode where we talked to Matthew, um, uh, last year, I will very, very quickly, uh, look up that, uh, for you, uh, in terms of the, episode number um that is episode 149 so um wow that was like uh, <laughs> over 50 episodes ago uh so uh check out uh that was done back in may 2018 uh go check out episode 149 for our first conversation with matthew if you want to get like the full picture here okay um, let's do some housekeeping real fast. Uh, it's the beginning of the month. So, uh, the, the deep begging uh, is over because, uh, it doesn't, won't do any good until the end of the month. Um, we've, uh, uh, we've had some shuffle. Um, so, uh, the good news is we picked up a couple of, uh, new backers, uh, Alexandria Bodie and MG have both jumped on. Thank you so much. The bad news is we lost a couple of backers, um, one of which was one of the $20 backers. So uh, we are down now. We're down to 238 patrons at uh, $1,403. Uh, so we are farther away from our next goal uh, than we were last week at this time. So, you know, I try to be chipper when I do this part of the show. Doot, 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 doot. But, you know, there's nothing chipper about that. Uh, so, yeah, uh, always understandable. Um, it's also one of the reasons why, um, like, I, I I don't push, uh, you know, the 10, 20 and, and above amounts because uh, people can't necessarily sustain that forever and always. 
Um, a dollar goes a long way. Five dollars goes a long way at patreon.com slash no to keep us sustainable. But that's not what I want you to do right now. Um, what can help us out the most if you're listening, I mean, if you're a backer or not, is spread word about the show. Um, we can use uh, reviews uh, on the iTunes, um, the Apple podcast location. Uh, reviews do help. Um, five star podcast, five star runtime, as they say, uh, over on the Waypoint uh, podcast. Uh, reviews help a lot, help people find the show. Um, spread the word about no pro, um, spread everything immersive this week. Uh, it's our most useful product when it comes to, um, you know, things that are linkable because we gather everything of note for the week, put it in one place and let people kind of check it out. So, um, we need word of mouth right now. Uh, and specifically, uh, word of mouth on the podcast, word of mouth on things on the website. Uh, the newsletter is doing just fine. And also the newsletter ultimately cost us as well. So um, we've got some headway there, but like if we go up big enough, then uh, it's a bigger expense. And, you know, um, look, uh, I won't miss, mince words. Uh, the Patreon is paying my rent these days. So um, <laughs> and LA rent is expensive and I got nowhere else to go. So uh, it means a lot uh, for all of you who are backing. I thank you so much. You're keeping a roof over my head. Um, and uh, I, I don't, want you to put any more money in what I do want you to do if at all possible is um, to share the work share the links um, I know social media can be a big pain I don't love it myself even though I'm addicted to it uh, but share 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 and share some more all right uh, the sustaining backers of no proscenium are Mark Baltazar Jan Bubman Paul F Lonnie Hanson Ari Hurstan Sam Kinkin and Samuel Mustry thank you all for keeping us going and without further ado we're going to jump into this episode right here just so you know we recorded this with Uber conference and I listened to the file and I think I think there's a slight sync issue um uh, I think I think uh, there's this little bit of choking up on the bat uh, between the two of us. Uh, but it is legible. So, uh, and, and actually doesn't sound too bad except for a couple of times when we accidentally talk over each other. And I don't think we were actually talking over each other. I mean, maybe we were, it's hard to remember. Been a week. I'll meet you on the other side. <laughs> Hey, uh, before we jump in and talk about Blockbuster LARPs and what you're doing, I noticed the other day that you have a copy of Cyberpunk Red. Uh-huh. Are you are you enjoying your read right now? I have not had a chance to give a deep dive on it. I mainly did the setting information, and it is interesting some of the ideas that are laced into the setting currently that are obviously going to feed into the uh, Cyberpunk 2077 hype. Well, and, and you're you're still going to be doing a blockbuster LARP for all of that, right? I already did one. Plan. Oh, you already did one. Yeah. How Cyberpunk long ago was Night that? City. That was when in um, that? that was in um, May. May is a dead month to me because of so much stuff that happened. And like, I know the last time we talked, it was still in the future. So I didn't realize, yeah. how did it go? How did it go? It was fantastic. Let me send you a, a is there a chat feature on this? Can you share links? <laughs> yes, there is. Okay. Oh, there is. Yeah. Oh, what do you know? 
I don't see it. <laughs> uh, it's a little. It's a, it's a little. Top oh, I see. On the right. Um, now, now I see. Um, yeah. Let me let me give you a link to our um, our um, gallery real quick, so you can see how how awesome it looked. It was fantastic. Oh, that'd be cool. We can add that. Uh, we can share that with everyone. Uh, yeah. Our next big event is we're rerunning the night so, in question oh, in November. Oh. Yeah, no, that I know. Wow. So yeah, we're definitely going to share this because like, there's some really fantastic uh, costuming going on here. Just and this was a full multi-level experience. We had people like live streaming, running fake social media accounts for the characters. It was excellent. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, Pictures are so pretty. Yeah, no, really. Like, I won't lie. Like, I, the point it was to get pretty pictures. <laughs> oh well, yeah. If you're doing cyberpunk, I mean, I've I've been daydreaming about you know one of the one of the jackets with the built-in lighting, right? Those that uh, kind of you know how I will share with color. you how to make those make one of those oh, in fifteen minutes with absolutely no trouble. Oh my you god! Can, please, yes. If you go on Amazon, you can get these battery-powered uh, helmet lights. They're these, they're these light strips, which are meant to wrap around a motorcycle helmet. And they're this hard, pla- like, flexible plastic sheeting embedded with EL, wire, EL tape. And all you have to do, and the jacket I'm wearing in those photos, is... Um, all you have to do is flip that on. Uh, you get this little battery pack, and you can just attach it to a pleather jacket or whatever, and you know unstitch a couple of the seams in order to hide the wires in it. Right. And it is a you know it, it unplugs and everything already. And I was able to make my jacket, my light up jacket, in fifteen minutes because it comes That's... with a super strong adhesive on it. And while I'm sure it's eventually going to come through, it lasted for months. And as a oh as gosh. a item, it, they they were like fifteen bucks, and it was and it already looks like kind of like a Tron thing. And it it works perfectly. And once we discovered those, like twenty people, twenty people use those. Um, oh yeah. Let's see. No, this is just, this is absolutely absolutely fantastic. Like I mean, that's that's gonna be one of the most fun things about LARPing these days is that we've because we've had the past couple past decade or so, there's been this amazing leap forward in cosplay technology, for lack of a better term, right? Like the the way everything's gotten miniaturized, uh, you know, because of eBay, because of Etsy, because you're just able because to, of YouTube, because of, because of the level of communication going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, everyone everyone's sharing their insights. So when when people come, like it it's the the threshold for for doing some really amazing shit uh is is I don't want to say low, but it's getting it's getting easier. Like the barrier to entry to start doing some really wonderful aesthetic stuff is not what it once was. Not not back in the 90s when it was like you really had to find someone who was destined to become a costumer in order before you started getting this stuff going on oh yeah i mean like an ebay and all that i'm going to share with you a link real quick 
Please, we'll put this all up in the show notes. Um, so, so you're coming off of that, and you're headed into the night in question. Part mm-hmm. is it is it is it a remount or is it part two? What's what exactly is this coming down the line here? Because um, you did a night the night in question last year. So what we're doing is we're doing are, are we're live now. We're going to be this is part of the oh yeah interview? yeah okay. we've been li- um, we've been live since this we rolled right into it. Oh like, okay, <laughs> I thought we I thought we were doing uh, roll up. Okay, well, no. cut this part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to the night in question. It is a second run of the same story, though the back end of the story is being modified. The entire vampire part the sabat vampire part of the entire story is being changed and adapted to accommodate uh one of the things that you can do in many games not just ours but where you're able to buy custom character groups which is you pay an extra money where you're basically paying for the author's time and you go in and you're able to dictate to a certain extent what character characters you're going to get. So if you buy an entire pack worth of tickets, you can create, we create this custom character group to fit into the overarching plot. And we are going to be taking all those, all the Sabat packs together and constructing a whole new back, you know, uh, behind the stage narrative of what is going on with the vampires. And also we're refining a lot of the groups where, there's some things that works. There's some groups that didn't work, you know, and we're making things a little bit better. We're refining it. There's going to be a lot of familiar faces if you're at the first night in question, but there's also going to be new ones. There's going to be new connections and there's going to be things which are familiar, but they're not exactly the same. And then we're going to be doing a big upgrade on the practical effects, uh, tightening up some of the uh, story uh, beats and generally getting the benefits of having that first run and turning it and taking it and going in a few more creative directions with it while also taking the fact that we have the flexibility to, you know, express and explore a few other things. Uh, the big thing that everyone really wants to take a look at is the uh, blood rave that we're going to do. We, we actually are going to rig the dance floor with faucets that are going to spray uh, hopefully non-staining or relatively non-staining red liquid on everybody. Um, it's based on child's poster paint, so it's uh, extremely non-toxic, but yeah, and there shouldn't have any problems. There's but. folks. There's folks. Uh, I think it's Barbecue Films, in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, three years ago, they did a blade party. They did yep. a blood rave. Uh, I don't. I don't know what they used, and I don't know if things they stained. used. According so. to uh, according to what I heard, it was water with red light being shown. Ah, this is going to actually be red. Cool. And so we're, we have this entire faucet system, which is going to, at a particular point in the night, going to soak everyone in blood for about thirty seconds. So it's going to be about oh. 10 hours of work for 30 seconds. It's kind of like setting up a fireworks show, but yeah. it's worth it. Well, everyone wants, everyone wants a blood rave. Everybody well, wants. I mean, if so. you look at the, the, the genealogy of the night in question as this concept of the evil vampire party, where things go terribly wrong for the mortals involved, it is not much to change. Um, 
it is not it's not hard to see the the uh, descendants from that one scene in Blade. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's a, that, that was actually a thing um, when Marvel announced over the weekend. As we're recording this, the weekend after SDCC, that uh, they were bringing back Blade. Uh, my friend Juliet was like, given the number of pop-ups in LA, this better mean we're getting our blood rave. Um, and and indeed, like, it would be nothing more perfect than, you know, there's got to be a homage when they remake Blade into the Blood Rave. But I feel like beyond the Blood Rave, there's a lot actually to unpack in everything you just said. Uh, and I want to kind of explode bit by bit because there's the idea of running a LARP, uh, maybe even for the same people or some of the same people uh, more than once is is definitely part of the, the, the mix in Nordic LARP and Blockbuster LARP, but not necessarily in the mix for folks who are coming out of the old, you know, one world by night, Camarilla, vampire tradition, such as myself so the idea of revisiting a story what kind of creative challenges does that bring in when you know okay some people know kind of what's going to break down how do we start designing as we tighten up how to and this it becomes a show but it's an interactive show what's the thought process there what are, what are, what's the first challenge you know that you're up against well the first challenge is really to look at what happened before and make it better um I have seen enough times where people played the same game over and over again. And if they played it, if you play a game like a LARP from a different perspective, it is a different game. And a lot of times you have such a wildly different viewpoint of what's going on. You're connected with wildly different characters. It is like watching a two different movies set at the same time following different characters and they're completely separate stories so practically you don't really have to do much to change anything to actually produce different experiences you just have to make it so different people are playing and even if people are playing the same characters um their reactions are going to be different because of who they are is not the same person they were a year ago, or they're going to make bad choices or they're just going to be in different rooms at different times. Or do you mean so, deliberately make alternate choices just to see which way the rabbit hole goes? Right. And the deviation happens within minutes. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, even if I lined everybody up playing the same characters, doing the same stuff, just because one person zigs when the other zags, it's, it's like that scene from Jurassic Park, right? It's, it's chaos. There are so many variables moving when you have 150 people playing in the space that you couldn't produce the same story if you wanted to. Now, obviously, on top of that, you have th these this group of characters did not work. How do we rework them? How do we rewrite them? How do we make them be more connected and so forth? Nobody had a bad time, but there's certainly groups that worked better than the others. And then you have to kind of do the post-mortem on it. Say that it worked just because one group worked better than the other, just because the players jived together better. Not that players, one group of players was bad and the other wasn't. It's just that they had better chemistry or... And how do we encourage the right kind of people to get into certain groups and, you know, look at what's right, what went right, how to keep that happening. Look at what 
didn't kick off, what what parts of the powder powder keg didn't explode, and you turn around and you adjust for all that. And that's the next step. And that's going to seriously change the experience. The other, because a group that maybe wasn't complete as completely and utterly engaged and didn't have as much of a precision motivation mm. comes back and now has a lot more energy and investment and also has different people playing them. I mean, if I go to you and say, play a CEO of a dot-com scam company, and I go to another person and say the same thing, you might play them like a, you know, complete used car salesman, uh, obnoxious uh, parody. And the other person might play him as a very fervent uh, Steve Jobs wannabe who buys what he's buys the bullshit he's selling. That becomes a very different character. And that difference affects all the characters connected to him. So having different people playing those roles creates an entirely different situation. And that's kind of the beauty of what makes these games, what I often call the greatest show on earth, is because you can be in charge and still not know every aspect of the story. Yeah, the, the, the degree to which things, part of the fun from the Game Master storyteller side is seeing what the players do with the toys and where they run and trying to keep up keep up with them like it is definitely co-creation i am i am really interested in this idea of like zeroing in on okay here's a here's a something we thought was going to work with a, a group dynamic and how you identify like what the catalyst was that like didn't go off i love that metaphor you said like part of the powder cake didn't go off mm -hmm. so i wonder if you maybe could like we could drill down into that a little bit and talk about the process of the post-mortem and you know like you getting the word back that something didn't work and how you start to analyze and figure out all right what what could what could set us up to have it do the thing we wanted it to do like is there is there a concrete line you could give us there on that well, I can give you examples. I mean, it's one of those things where there's not a precise process, but what I think the biggest step towards getting that kind of feedback is you solicit it. You actively seek out feedback and you reward getting it, you know, giving it. Um, you don't, you, you kind of have to be willing to see somebody beat up your baby in front of you in order to make it and that's some that's sometimes hard for people, especially after months of work and you know financial investment and all these things. But you have to you have to solicit that feedback and get it back. Uh, for example, there was a group at the nine in question. Everyone had a great time, but they quickly found that the group they were in uh, broke apart because they didn't ha really have a connection to the events. So they went on and explored other personal connections for their characters but lost no coherence. They were the uh, dot-com company that was there. And they're kind of a parody of 90s Austin tech culture. And all of them love their characters. It's just they didn't have a cohesion to it. And mm. we're going to change them around so they have more of a connection to the evening other than making bad choices. Because that's not something for them to cohere around. And we did that by talking to you know players. And this is something that the player the players in that group brought to us that they said, you know, we had a great time, but this group kind of flew to the flew to the winds very quickly 
and I, we didn't have much to identify or grasp onto something that could have been addressed had we seen that seen the lack at the time you know but hindsight is always 2020 of that and if we had connected them we could have done two or three small plot changes of character connections which would have made everything far more coherent for that yeah. group and so much of that seems to be about how your the social dynamics of how the individuals in the group are relating to each other, how the group is relating to other groups, right? Like working that chart of the the coteries and the, the just the way the society is set up, uh, as much as giving people like clear beats in a plot. I think that when you're creating a game like The Night in Question, where the beats and the plot are global, right? We have four acts. First act is everything is normal for an underground rave in the 90s out in the country. The second act is the tension starts, and it starts being the creeping terror of people are disappearing. And third act is the bloodbath, and the fourth act is you know monstrosity and, and gore. Um, and those are the overarching beats. So what's more important for us, and it would be impossible with any level of like man, reasonable amount of manpower for us to run individual plots for every single character. So what we have to do is provide via the writing, via the setup, via the pregame workshops, the connections that we foster between players and the trust we foster between the players as actors. You have to go in and you have to create a situation where they could not help but to make their own trouble. Um, where you could put them into an empty room with white walls, and they would still have a good time. You have to foster that level of dynamic and culture and meshing and focus in order to have fun. How does that play with this idea of, because uh, I'm really interested in something you mentioned of folks who are coming in to like buy some of the storyteller's time, creates, create like a custom group setup. Um, Cause the part of me, aside from like wanting to like, inv like look at that as a business practice, cause I find that really, really interesting. Cause I, that used to just be a thing that we would have to do <laughs> for the players. And now that's like, Oh, it's a bonus. How, how does that, how do you keep that from being, the equivalent of like someone buying all the loot boxes in uh, in a shooter game and just being like, hi, I've equipped my character out with everything you can possibly buy uh, and someone else who's kind of giving a base a base ticket. How do you balance those um, those valuations in people's minds? So I think that's a valid concern is one that's been brought up by players who look at this and say, oh, you can buy your way into this group or that group. They're going to be in charge. And I think you have to foster the idea that no, nobody is really more important. This isn't a, no one gets to take over the economy of attention in the game. You do get special, like you get customization, but you don't get whatever you want. You get working with the writer to create something you specifically want to do. And if you if you want to come in and you want to play, I don't know, a bunch of werewolves or something in my vampire game, you don't get to do that just because you bought those tickets. Okay, but Matthew, you but like, but, you, the game. but see, my abomination has been around... No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. 
Thanks, Samuel Hype. <laughs> Look, those are those Wolverine are of, those are official books. I have them all. Mm. So look, I just look, you know, Chaos Factor is canon, I'm just saying. So sorry. That's very interesting. That's very, very interesting. Now, if you'd like to step <laughs> towards the giant X. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean it's it, one one of the things people say is that it's fun to get one-on-one time with the authors and to get special like attention to specifically what you want to do as a group and kind of get the concierge experience. Right. But all that occurs ahead of time. Once you hit the ground running, you're another player. You got loaded up, you know, you don't have more power than anybody else. You don't have more automatic prominence. There really is no stage to steal. Um, you're not any more powerful than anyone else. And so you got more personal adjustment and attention and a little bit of accommodation from the world that to, to get a little bit more exactly what you wanted Hmm. in exchange for compensating the the author for their time. Yeah. Yeah. You're a little more baked in on the level of the details. So everyone is, everyone's connected though. Everyone is loaded up into the story. It's just, were you allowed to come in and get the authors of the game to personally readjust things and redo things to specifically get what you wanted? And also from their perspective to draw out from you a character that will fit into this game. Cause that's the other thing they're getting is that they're how they are experienced LARP rights. They know how the game works. And rather than you choosing a character that will work, right? Because it's written that way. It's a pre-written character and it's all hooked up. You are given the privilege of sitting down with the author going through your specific beats and the, the, your images, and they will draw out from that a character that fits into the game. So it's like, it's the difference between buying, you know, a wonderful piece of art that was just like a copy of the Mona Lisa, which is a beautiful piece of art, you know, wonderfully reproduced, or getting someone to hand draw something specifically what you said, said to draw. Flip this around and let's talk about the the business aspect of this. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of advantages does it give you guys to have this as part of the line of business? What does it do in terms of providing support? Because, like I was saying, you know, I I had a flash when you mentioned this of just how many times I sat down with players, you know, working on like uh, you know, my persistent game back in the nineties, and. You know, long before the idea of, well, not long before, like I guess it's, it happened in some places, but well before the idea of a game master uh, being a uh, something that people might pay, right? There was just that article that was going around that people are paying people to be game masters. And this idea of LARP right being like a professional position, this was something that was kind of alien to us then. What has it done? What does it do to have these um, these aspects of the business sort of be be turned into a business? Well, I think that it um, I think it has a lot of unintended side effects that are mostly good. Um, 
the unfortunately the biggest part of it is is it reduces uh, accessibility which is always a question for us is that it reduces the number of people who can freely play right part of the reason why we don't do a whole bunch of events is that if we charge what we had to charge to be fairly compensated for our time as professionals monthly no one would be able to come buy our tickets so we set up these big destination games in order to kind of have the right combination of effort and time um for people to attend our events but one of the things that changes i think about the dynamic is that if everybody paid 150 dollars to 175 dollars to be here you do not have the option of saying anyone is more entitled than anyone else Everyone's invested. Everyone's spent time and treasure to be here. So it actually puts a lot a lot more of an equal footing on things. Also, it changes the relationship between the LARP writer and the LARP runner and the player to being a professional one. And also professional from the standpoint of they're a professional who has responsibilities, not just to you, the player that's in front of me, but to the uh to the game as a whole because there are once again a lot of people paid good money flew from across the world or across the country to be here and so it is very hard to see yourself as being entitled to more than somebody else hmm. um even when you buy like the $500 package tickets to the night in question for instance you that comes with like rooms and you know first shot character selection and things of that nature the um the entire thing the the extra cost gets you something other than purely just like you know increased power pay to play loot box stuff you're getting tangible benefits for that cake ticket so because of that, it kind of democratizes things where if you establish a professional relationship between the writer and or the writer and the runner and the players, that makes it so that you don't see as much nepotism. You don't see as much um, friend, uh, you know, friend currency being traded around. Um, and it becomes, especially when you're doing a short non-repeating game, it means that everyone is much more task focused. It is not about maintaining your place in this geeks little microcosm of geek subculture that meets every other week. It is about coming to play this game, to do this thing and to get your nickels worth out of it. And that's really one of the things that, you can then turn to staffers and who are who are being compensated and you can set expectations on their behavior you can set expectations on their timelines and you can set expectations on their level of professionalism because it means that you can say listen uh, you're not just making this because you feel like it you're not giving me your saturdays cuz it's quote fun you're giving me your saturdays cuz i paid you this amount of money and we agreed to that so often, strangely, it reduces the amount of drama that might come out of a, a more traditional kind of week-to-week, play-with-your-friends sort of LARP organization, which 
because it just changes the reasons and the motivations. When last we talked, Blockbuster LARP um, was still getting introduced to some degree here in the States, like the, the, the terminology, uh, the ideas. It's been happening for a while. And there's that, that, that turn from calling it Nordic LARP to calling it Blockbuster LARP. Where are we a year from our last conversation. Uh, how's the overall dynamic change? What are you seeing out there in the field uh, that wasn't happening before? I think that we're reaching the point at which American um, American blockbuster style LARPs have uh, adopted their own identity, which I think is an important step. Um, to be clear, Nordic LARP covers far beyond blockbuster, um, but we're seeing a refinement of language. And we're seeing new, entirely new patterns emerge, which are unique to America. We are seeing our North America, and we're seeing a development of a our own sort of culture. What, do you, um, what, do you, what kind of patterns are you seeing? Well, I mean, we've just we had the blockbuster LARP terminology, and now there's this idea of a far more intimate sort of twenty or thirty person game where you rent out a very nice bread and bed and breakfast, Victorian bread and breakfast in Toronto. There's one game called Nelly's by Night that's running this September, which is a vampire game, uh, which rents out this Victorian bed and breakfast that's been used in various vampire movies and television shows because of the way it's decorated and laid out and how it preserved all this furniture. So, and it's frequently used for filming. Um, but it's a very small game. It's a very intimate game and it has a lower price range than most games of its nature. And they've started calling those types of games boutique LARPs. So you have blockbuster, which is the 150. We're going to rent out a castle or a giant concert site. And it's going to have all these special effects. And you're just going to have the pre-done characters. And now in America, referring to boutique LARPs is same idea, but it's a little bit less expensive. There's less of a set piece feel to it. And it still has the pre-assigned characters, the very intimate writing, but it's a far more intimate one-on-one sort of personal experience. And those are being called boutique games. I haven't heard that terminology outside of America. Uh, You're seeing, you know, there being a lot of awareness of a North American voice to the freeform and blockbuster style LARP experience and the idea that we've really come into our own and found where our tastes are and what we're able to do. And the other thing I really think has happened, and I like to think that Jackalope and myself are somewhat responsible for this, is that there was this persistent drumbeat in the background of both Americans who wanted to experience these kind of games and Europeans who were looking across the ocean at us saying American LARPers, especially the traditional audience that we have, could not handle these kind of experiences. They are not capable. They're too, the, the, cult, the culture is not capable of absorbing these ideas. Uh, they're not absor- capable of absorbing consent-based improv as opposed to rule-based crunchiness. And I think thanks in some small part to uh, 
the night in question and uh, a war of our own. But also thanks to other games like Neural Magic Skull and so forth, the idea that Americans are not able to absorb this idea has been completely blown off the table. There's no, that conversation isn't even going on anymore because we had the initial wave of like Neural Magic Scola, which was the Harry Potter game. And people were like, well, that works there because it's a very whimsical setting and it's a different crowd. You're getting Harry Potter fans, you're not getting the traditional crowd. And it's not dealing with any really dark subject matter. And then Event Horizon, which is another game in uh, San Francisco, which is a science fiction game, who was completely American in, in tone um, and wasn't based on a European game, comes out and it kind of amps up on some of the dark themes and it does all that kind of stuff. And it kind of starts establishing its own voice and a whole bunch, too many games to count, like Real Royalty and all that start propping up. And also then, you know, you have, uh, and there's been long this, been this concept that, Vampire LARP has always been the uh, problem child of the LARP community. And we were able to go with the night in question and say, no, not, not only are we involving a great deal of this community and people who've never, you know, engaged with this particular type of LARP before, but we're able to turn around and say, you know what? Um, not only are they able to do it, not only they're perfectly able to absorb this and have a great time, we were able to deal with extremely dark subject matter. We were able to deal with physical contact. We were able to break all these taboos safely with no issues with these this population of players and introduce them to something new, and they were completely were on board for it. So the idea that we cannot do this here has utterly subsided. That that conversation that you would have heard as late as a year ago is gone. It's, it's off the table because there have been such demonstrable moves to say that not only are we capable to do it, we're ready for it and we're able to do it. But now I think we're unfortunately seeing this other conversation happen where there's a false narrative that it's in that the traditional LARP crunchiness sort of game and the boutique and the blockbuster games exist in opposition to each other, mm -hmm. that they drain from each other. And I have spoken in several places about this before. And I think that that's not only, not only wrong, but I think really ignores the fact that the new blood coming in to LARP, the new awareness of LARP, is going to lead to people who maybe come into these boutique style games seeking the more traditional stuff, the more continuous game stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. There's been this explosion for board games and role-playing games. Um, there's, there's so much has changed, particularly because of the way people consume other people playing them via streaming. And yet some of the sometimes people are looking for something that's rules light and just a way to socialize and sometimes people are looking for one of those you know euro board games that take three hours to set up and nine hours to play um mm -hmm. nothing stops that market from growing um it's really more a matter of what are you in the mood for right now and it's the, it's the idea know. that because people are eating vanilla ice cream they'll stop eating chocolate right which is just silly you know 
Yeah. Um, it really depends on what you want to pair it with. Hot fudge for vanilla, peanut butter for chocolate. I mean, come on. It's so good. Now I want, I want chocolate and peanut butter. The worst I can do to a game is, is – to a game that I'm not running is simply outdo it. That's the only thing I can really do is show people that a game can be better. And a I hope that people will take that as the challenge it is. Yeah. That it is a a gauntlets are thrown down and uh, if I throw down a gauntlet it is with the prayer that someone will pick it up because you know steel sharpens steel. Yeah. Right? Well, and you want I mean someone who ran games the thing I was always hoping to find out there was a game in the vein of what I was doing that was better. I was right? about to say that I, what I almost said was also, if other people are running games as good as mine, I maybe I'll finally be able to play in one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like, and, and the thing is, is sometimes you would find stuff that was, it, it wasn't the same type Right. So like you kind of you get into it, and it's like, oh, this isn't really kind of what we're doing. Right? It's like or and sometimes you go and you say, oh, well, this is this is where we were. Right. But more often than not, I would find in the Bay, I'd, I'd find a game that was doing something that was different from what we were doing. And so I wasn't so much interested, but all I wanted was to find a game that was doing the kind of thing we were doing and just doing it at a, at a, at a higher level, doing it better doing it bigger and better um, so that, yeah, so that I could play. So I could like take off the mantle of running the thing and just be, I'm going to go enjoy myself now. I'm just going to worry about one character and not 30 people's characters, you know? Like, right. And I think that we should celebrate that. And also, I mean, it's a certain extent, it removes a bear burden from LARP runners when you're the only LARP in the area. And if someone's not having fun, you can then send them yeah. someplace which is more to their taste rather than realizing that if you don't give them, you know, if you don't adjust, they literally have no place to go. Yeah. And it relieves that burden where we can have multiple taster. But I frequently point out to people, I still go play hitting people with foam swords games because they're fun. I don't see myself as uh, above that i don't think anyone else really does if you talk talk to no. talk to the larp runners so I was, I was walking past a park where some kids were they had their buffer weapons out and gosh i just wanted to charge in there with both hands and just you should have cry well you should have well, asked uh, if they had any spares <laughs> no but i, I didn't do. want to i didn't want to ask i just want to charge in i want to scare them <laughs> it's a wild man running at them with foam. We cord. need to have that consent conversation. <laughs> if they're in a park in the middle of the day and they're hitting each other with PVC pipes wrapped in foam cord, that is consent. <laughs> oh, there's so many jokes I'm not making them. So, okay. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. Joking aside, but, obviously, um, obviously. Um, but it's just that. Uh, and so, yeah, you're seeing this whole shift in the conversation and there's this idea that, yeah, we're ready. And not only ready is that, you know, you're, you're seeing people talk about things which were almost exclusive to the LARP community beforehand. Like I've seen escape rooms advertise how immersive they are. Yeah. And that is a LARP concept. 
immersive theater, of course, also exists. But the idea of immersion as something you construct around someone as they're doing a game, that's a LARP concept. Oh, and, yeah, and something that's being sold at, you know, in the Disney parks, like, you know, they, they talk about Star Wars Land as immersive. They And when they're pitching the, the Marvel uh, lands that they're going to be doing, they pitch those as immersive, this idea that it's all encompassing and you're always around. And there's and there's pushback in those communities. There's There's people... In the theme park world, have pushed back on, you know, the fact that there isn't music when you're in Star Wars Land. You're not walking around hearing like uh, just music ambiently in the land. But when you walk around Disneyland, you just hear little doodle little doodles all the way. As someone who loves Star Wars, I love the fact that I'm not just walking. Like if I hear a sound, um, it's it's diegetic. It's real. You know, mm-hmm. like that's quote unquote real or. You can you can hear when you're walking up the pathway at night. You hear there are animals in the bushes and they're making yeah. sounds, and you do not know what they are. And I find that amazing. And if it was just like deedle deedle music, you know, happening all the play, all everywhere, I would, uh, I don't know, I'd feel like I wasn't in the thing anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's one of those. Uh, but one of the things I've always respected about Disney, especially Walt, is that his his command of constructing space and cons- constructing experiences through the use of space. I considered Walt Disney to be one of the grandfathers of immersive design because he starts out with very simple statements of principle, such as anything can happen at Disneyland. That's a statement of principle. And everything about Disneyland sells that idea that anything can happen at Disneyland. That is, the, it is the happiest place on earth. It is magical and anything can happen here. And then he takes and he constructs the flow of spaces, the visuals, what you see first, what you see next. And we, we actually took, when we did the Cyberpunk Night City game, we turned around and we applied principles that I directly took from the Disney Imagineering department. If you look at the night city photos in the middle of the courtyard of this street market, that was the setting for cyberpunk. There is this giant metal tree of pipes and television sets that are running and they're playing a variety of either in-game transmissions or online players interacting with the, interacting with the game or any of these other things. and But it was there, it was really prominent, and it was just slightly out of view when you walked into that site, very intentionally. Because you see this big, the tallest thing in the game with all this motion and noise around it, and it's slightly obscured from you. What is the first thing you're going to do to do? go to there? You're going to go straight towards the center, and that will it will draw you right into the world. And that's a concept from the design of Disney parks. That is why the castle is at the end of Main Street, Main Street USA. That's the reason why the Epcot Center globe is where it is. That is where, how they lay out each land is, I think they call them weenies, is that you, you have this weenie on a stick that you draw people with. That's a Disney idea. And I've stolen that. And I have paid attention to everything Disney park designers have ever said, because they are obviously experts at doing things simply through management of space, sight lines, and flow of people, which is so critical to a LARP environment. 
Yeah, and there's there's things that they're they're that they do now when you look at like Cars Land or you look at Galaxy's Edge where you're you you come in and that that idea of like there's something in the center but there's an obscure. So when you come around the corner, the reveal happens and you see it and then and then it creates this moment of that pops. It's a moment of wow. It's a moment of reorientation and suddenly everything that was behind you um just you start to feel enveloped in a way yeah. that you that you weren't before and and even think about like the way main street you know is constructed like the castle's down there uh, at the end but that initial bulb of main street like suddenly there's this like there's all these things around you um yeah there's 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 these little these little tiny tricks to 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 it all in terms of if you go into the main, like the entrance to Disneyland, well, the flower, the famous flower bed and all that, yeah. you have this giant plaza and you start breaking up into these little gates and then you go out into main street and it makes the, suddenly it makes this experience that seemed very, very big breaking you up into these various flow lanes suddenly makes it more personal again. Yeah. And, and then just, you go to this very personal space of main street. Yeah, I mean, I Disneyland is horrifically like cynical and capitalist. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I can appreciate the artistry. It's kind of like looking at the pyramids and realizing, yes, this is the product of a horribly exploited and autocratic system based on slavery. But goddamn, <laughs> um, it's you can't you can't fault the craftsmanship. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, you can't. Well, and, and, and the lessons to be pulled off in terms of um, you know, working at a, at a smaller scale is, is that is those, those dynamics between you're pulling everybody together in a big mass and you're separating people back out into little flows. I think of something like sleep no more where, you know, the, sort of the, the, the big turning point is the ballroom scene. And by the, at that point you've all come in on your own little tracks and then you're all brought together. And this, this kind of, it's really a natural flow of society as a whole. We're all off doing our little things, and then we kind of pull up together for some big moments, and then we disperse again. Like we need that sort of the again how social media has disrupted that. But let's leave that for another day. Um, this idea that you know we are both individuals, but we're also part of something, and which kind of brings us back to the dynamics of a, a large-scale LARP that, you know, each person's playing a role, each person's a character, but they're, but they are part of this larger tapestry, uh, this story that emerges. Um, we only got a little bit more time here. Uh, so I wanted to check in and see, you've got Night in Question uh, uh, One thing up. I want to add, because you guys yeah. going to love this, is that, uh, you know, to contradict myself about the chaos of the game and so forth, Mm -hmm. One of the tricks that we have as a writer in the LARP, right, that I've, I've so I call it Chekhov's character sheet. Um, <laughs> after Chekhov's gun, the concept yeah, yeah. that if there's a gun on the stage in a play, it will be used at some point, right? Um, and it's just, it will happen. There's something, sometimes you just, you can't say exactly how it's going to happen, but there is a concept of if you put something in game, someone is going to do something with it. For instance, when I created a cyberpunk night city character in which one of these like, you know, ephemeral sort of new media Instagram model types happened to have the background of actually having grown up on the streets. 
And thus, she actually had decent combat abilities. And in the, the negotiation system, she would fall apart. I didn't know how she was going to eventually just show up and start beating the crap out of someone who thought that she was a pushover. But I know that if I gave that character that, that would happen. Because no one can resist that setup. Oh, yeah. And you, no. you use that trick all the time. Yeah. I was at a, I did a LARP, a little short, like hour long thing, not too long ago. And there was a character that just like, it was weirdly enough, like it wasn't a fighting LARP at all, but like they gave the, they gave the, they, they put in the thing where it's like, this character wins all ties in a fight. And I was like, okay. So I used that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the weird thing is, they I used it actually on the the LARP right who was there that night playing a character at, in that particular run, and I think they were surprised that I used it. But I'm like, well, you put it in, like it wasn't even necessarily what I rolled up to the experience that night, being like, oh, I feel like fighting people. But it was clearly people were taking all these other roles. I was like, ah, yeah, no one's gonna want this. I'll take this. But like, I'm gonna use this thing you give me. Yeah, just give someone um, a prop grenade, and it will get used. Oh yeah. Particularly, <laughs> if it's one of those like water balloon refillable grenades, those are awesome. Oh so, yeah, uh, those are the best. Fill that with some fake blood. Hey, um, <laughs> what do you have? What do you have coming up? Uh, what's the plan for Jackalope uh, beyond Night in Question? One of the big things that's happening going past the Night in Question is we have announced. Uh, we have announcement at Gen Con that we are going to be the first uh the first company running a mini series style serial game a series of games based on white wolf's new vampire the masquerade and new uh world of darkness products they're called the elysium chronicles the concept is is that there's going to be a overarching plot line that connects three or four games in a cycle of games, wherein we will rent out a high-end location that complete with room and board, complete with everything that you need for what would be considered to be cruise ship sort of prices. And so you go and you pay $1,000 and you get your hotel room you get your meals you get everything and you get three days of an intense political intense political dark passion sort of game based on the camaria the secret conspiracy of vampires the uh, and elders that controls so much wealth and power in the world of darkness universe and the idea that you'll have you'll walk into these marble ballrooms, everyone you know with costume rentals available and so forth, and you'll play out the political and personal machinations of these eternal creatures and their passions and their loves and their their defeats and their grudges and their ambitions. And make decisions, you'll make decisions on those three nights that not only reverberate to the next game to the next game. If you buy a ticket to the game the next year, the next eight months, you can you have the option of reprising the character that you portrayed once again. And for a limited series of games, you have this continuous storyline 
of what is going on in this living world of darkness in relation to the world and this and if we'll have there'll be a game and then another game eight months later and it'll be continuous storyline and it'll be as if eight months real time passed and it'll be part of the overarching plot of what is occurring in this world in this secret world during the during the nights you know during these modern nights in the new setting so it's going to get tied into the game's meta plot itself. This will sort of be part of the the overarching story that's going to be reflected through all the all the supplements and source books that they're putting in. The Elysium Chronicles will always reflect the current battle plot, though the players will be able to change how the Elysium Chronicles go. And in addition to that, while we have this core three or four games where people make decisions about who dies and who lives and which cities get focused on and whether or not to visit the Camry is justice on particular people and that sort of thing. In addition to that, you have what we call the satellite games or the reflections, which is we are going to be going to both traditional LARP conventions and to other places. And you could go to Los Angeles and instead of being part of this detente of the Camarilla, this this inner circle, uh, this conspiracies and inner circles, we will rent out a you know music space, and there's a party going on, and you can either people can just show up to listen to the music, but you can also pay and you become inserted into the anarchs of Los Angeles conspiring and reacting and ranting and talking about what happened at the large, the main game and making their own choices, what to react. And that'll feed back into the next big central Elysium Chronicles game. So, go ahead. so sort of so different, different than way it's both like kind of like the spiritual successor to the older uh, persistent world games, but instead of it being, you know, something where people were, playing every other week or playing every week and kind of running across all these different games that that were there was kind of like the, the camera itself all these little fiefdoms and people kind of being upset with the central body this will be a persistent world where there are places where you can plug in um at, at different levels based on your sort of both your your time and your financial um commitment but a living world, nonetheless, that stretches across multiple events, uh, kind with of multiple levels gap. of accessibility and yeah. so forth, bridging the gap between a LARP and an alternate reality game in a real we, way. Uh, we're using the term "mirror world." Nice, where you can you can see persistent. You're not required to play the same character if you want to. If you played the Prince of Chicago in one game in the big game and we run an anarch rave game in LA, you can go there and you can play, you know, Bob McPunchface, the anarch, if you want to. And there's not an expectation that you're going to be carrying the torch for this character uh, constantly. And you can do things, you could role play on your own, your connections with people, the downtime, but there's no expectation from the organizers that this will be policed or that this will be official or anything like that. So it is less, it's more focusing on how do we create this, uh, this feeling of being a connected world and 
hit the snapshots, hit the high points, and give everybody a look into this mirror world, this alternate life without having the persistence of but one thing i do want to say and emphasize very much is that this is not another fan club this is a series of these blockbuster style events with connected boutique games that focus on and affect each other but all of them are managed and and written from a central source and they are not to they're not meant to be a replacement for the persistent games. They're meant to be a distributed experience that many people can take part in, no matter what their level of commitment is. That is damn, damn exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today, for bringing us up to speed on this. Uh, and we're recording this before you hit Gen Con, but I'm really looking forward to see what the reaction out of Gen Con is uh, this year. Chaos, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's, it's the internet, baby. It's going to be chaos. So, all right. Uh, I looked upon, yeah, I gathered all the armies of darkness into a place called Armageddon. <laughs> all right. Or Indianapolis, as the case may be. Six to one, half a dozen the other. Fantastic. Yeah. Once again, I want to thank Matthew Webb for being our guest on the show today. You can find what they do over at Jackalope Live Action Studios at jackalope-larp.com. Uh, keep your eyes there to see what's up with the Elysium Chronicles, uh, which will be coming out in 2020. Uh, it's uh, it's an exciting new venture. It's an exciting shift, um, and there's just uh, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on in the LARP world right now, and we're definitely going to be paying uh, attention to the innovative work that's happening over there. Um, speaking of innovations, uh, we were at SIGGRAPH this week and uh, got to check out um, a fair amount of stuff while we were there. Um, I'm, I, I did a piece in the Irregular about, uh, on Monday, uh, late Monday for, uh, for Tuesday, uh, and we've done two diary entries so far. Uh, probably going to get a one more diary, diary entry out of me either today or tomorrow. Um, the funny thing is, like, I found myself... Um, kind of interested in how uh, game engines are altering uh, the production workflow of film and television and how that's spilling over to um, immersive as well because photorealistic real-time imagery being produced by game engines um, and then on the other side of things like advancements in volumetric capture to capture like actual performance, um, all of these things are laying the groundwork for some pretty, some pretty amazing possibilities for immersive performance, immersive interactive experience building. Um, and it's like, it's like this jigsaw puzzle that's been, uh, broken all up and uh, can be reassembled into something new. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I don't entirely, I mean, 
the, the missing component of all this is like the last mile is, you know, getting headsets into people's hands at their homes uh, and getting bandwidth that is strong enough so that this stuff can just be like, you know, done off device. But that's the thing is like, I've seen things where some pretty incredible imagery is being streamed over uh, from a desktop computer onto um, a HoloLens or onto another device. Um, And so you're not tethered, but you're also getting top and graphical fidelity out of what you're watching. Uh, So all the pieces are there. It's just not evenly distributed yet, right? Like the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, So let's keep our eye on that world and see what shakes up, see what develops. Um, Definitely looking to do some more coverage in the immersive technology side of things as the year goes on. And just, you know, next week's episode, we did do a couple of interviews at SIGGRAPH. So we're going to package those together and that's going to be uh, next week's episode of the podcast. We'll have that material for you. Uh, we had, um, we got to talk some really great folks, so I don't want to spoil it yet. Um, okay. That's enough for me for now. Um, we've been at this for like an hour today between this and the interview. Uh, let us know how things are going with you. Um, always feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter at no proscenium. You can reach out to us via Instagram, uh, at no underscore proscenium. Uh, you can hit me up Noah at no proscenium.com. We want to know what's up with you. We want to know, uh, you know, what's shaking in your world. Um, Patreon.com slash no proscenium is how you help us literally pay the rent um, there. And you can find everything we do at no proscenium.com. The music for this show is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Uh, they've got a crowdfunding effort going on right now for the Johnny Cycle. Uh, you can find the link to that in this week's Everything Immersive this week, along with some other now funding uh, events. And uh, the sustaining backers for no proscenium are. Blah, 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 blah. As I get to the list, <laughs> Mark Baltazar, Jan Bubman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Herstan, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. Thank you all, gentlemen, uh, for lighting our way. Until next time, I'm Noah Nelson. I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>